What a blessing. Thank you so much, Rima. Open your Bibles again, if you will, to Psalm number 51. I'm going to preach a message this morning, God's work of restoration. And uh, in the beginning here before I pray, I want to uh, explain that when we read Psalm 51, those who are uh, Bible readers and who have attended church sometime, uh, we know David's sin and sometimes we connect Psalm 51 only to someone who has committed uh, such a sin and crime as did David. Uh, David stole another man's wife and then he had uh, that man put on the front line and killed. And uh, Nathan the prophet, uh, he uh, brought that uh, to uh, uh, David's attention and we understand that was the sin that came to Psalm 51, that came to the confession of Psalm 51. But if we're not careful, we will say that Psalm 51 is for really bad sinners. But I want to point out what he says in the middle of our verses. If you'll look at verse number 5, he says this, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin my mother did, did my mother conceive me. In other words, I was born a sinner, and I am a sinner. This verse does not apply to those who've committed sin and crime. This passage applies to every single person in this room this morning. May I say there's nothing I have valued more than my friendships or relationships. For example, growing up, uh, my dad was my hero, and, uh, and, and uh, I, di I didn't want to hurt him in any way. When my dad uh, punished me, and he did discipline me, and he used a belt uh, to discipline me when I disobeyed, uh, but the biggest form of discipline was the fact that I had disappointed my dad. The, the, the whipping didn't hurt near as bad as the disappointment. I, I don't want to have I don't want to have relationships that are hurt because of my bad behavior. I wanted to know I had a good relationship with my dad. The same is true with my wife. I, I don't I don't want to have any kind of a problem, and I don't have any kind of one fellow said he never went to bed mad at his wife. He said, sometimes I've stayed up as high as three nights uh, before going to bed. Uh, but, but, but my relationship with my wife, I, I, I want it to be perfect. I mean that. I want it to be what it's supposed to be. I, I don't want to have any hurt feelings at all. I don't want, I, I want to have a right relationship. Thirdly, I want that with my church. I, I, I want to be a pastor that you can say uh, there may be better preachers, there may be better teachers, but there's no one more sincere in his walk with God and his desire uh, to lead us in the word of God as a pastor. And so this psalm heals relationships. Uh, this psalm, first of all, heals our relationship with the Father. And I'm going to preach this morning on the subject, God's work of restoration. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help me as I preach this morning. I hunger Lord, you know I want our relationship to be what it's supposed to be. And as I was here early this morning, as I am every Sunday morning, Lord, my purpose is not just to prepare for the day, but to be sure that our relationship is what it ought to be. I don't want to fail you. 
I don't want you to be disappointed in me. I want you to be pleased in my life and my desire to serve you. I pray that you'd help us today not to apply this psalm to someone that's committed a crime, but Lord, someone that is born a sinner and that we all need in our life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. One of the sweetest parts of the Bible is God's love for man to the place not just of forgiveness of sin for salvation, but God's desire to have a perfect and a right relationship with his children. And throughout the word of God, you find of those that were, they were spoiled, uh, they were deceptive, uh, they became backslidden in their relationship uh, with God. And there were times that perhaps we would have given up on that relationship, but I'm glad God never does. I'm glad God loves me. I'm glad God when I fail, uh, when I fail uh, either on purpose or uh, because of weakness, I'm glad God is there to love me and to pick me up and help me. Uh, One of the most amazing parts of the Bible is this matter of restoration. You think of the nation of Israel. Uh, You look at their sin that they committed and begun to worship false gods. You would think God would just say, I'll just get rid of that nation and I'll I'll, I'll, uh, uh, raise up a nation that loves me and serves me. But God's love and forgiveness for the nation of Israel uh, is amazing. I read the restoration of Jacob. Uh, You know, Jacob is a conniver and a deceiver. It's hard to like Jacob when you read about what he did uh, to his family and what he did to supposed friends. And yet God loved Jacob to the place that he finally said, I I give all of that up. I, I, I give up my deception. I give up all of my sin, all of my wrong against my brethren. And God not only changed his name from Jacob to Israel, that Jacob and Israel, that's the same person. He changed his name to mean prince with God, and he was the father of those 12 sons or states or tribes of Israel. What a beautiful picture of restoration. You find it all the way through the Bible. How sad it is to read of those like Samson that never came to the place of forgiveness of their sin to God. And they were never restored and they, they died in that condition of a hurt and a broken relationship. I mean, we, we could talk all morning about the fact of the different people uh, that uh, uh, were restored in their relationship with God. Let me ask you a question. I, want you to, I don't want you to answer me by raising hand or saying anything out loud. But don't you want to have a good relationship with God? Don't you you want to know that in my heart, you can sing that song, nothing between my soul and the Savior. I don't want anything between me and God. I want to have a perfect relationship with God. I don't want to have anything between my relationship with my wife and with my children and with my church. I don't want to be a failure. I don't want to be. I want to be what God wants me to be. So we'll look at Psalm 51 and there are two parts to the message this morning. First of all, I want to see what sin really does to us. And in this psalm we can outline the effects of sin in our life. Psalm 51 we find several things. First of all, sin soils or makes the saint dirty. It soils the saint. You don't, you don't play with sin. You don't enjoy sin and come away feeling clean. 
you always come away feeling dirty. Notice what he says here in these first two verses. He said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And I want you to notice what he says, and he says it three different ways. Wash me throughly from mine iniquities and cleanse me from my sins. He said, have mercy, wash me, and cleanse me. When I think of that cleansing, he didn't want just a once over. He wanted a deep cleansing from his sin. Sin will make you dirty. I remember my grandmother, her washing machine was a Maytag, Smith & Maytag washing machine. It sat on the back porch. Uh, her dryer was a string hung between the locust post on the, on the back porch. But, but her washing machine, uh, it was a ringer washer. How many of you, uh, your grandparents or your parents had one of those? And uh, I got to, we had running water to it. I ran and got it. And uh, I'd take buckets over to the well and, and fill it up. And I remember her washing and, and putting that uh, through the wringer. And then she would take those clothes and she would hold them up to the sun on those bright days. And if they didn't come clean, she had a rub board in a, in, in, in a wash tub, a number two wash tub. And uh, she would take those clothes and she would rub them on that rub board. That's what the psalmist is saying. He said, sin didn't satisfy me, it soiled me. Now the devil's a dirty, rotten liar. There's no sin out there that'll satisfy you. There's no sin. It'll bring pleasure for a season, but it will leave you soiled. I've got a lot to say. Let me move quickly. Notice uh, in verse number three, sin saturates the mind. We could stay here a long time. Notice how sin saturates, sin affects the mind. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. I don't care if you're a five-year-old boy or girl or if you're a grandfather when there's sin in your life, that sin, it gets a hold of your mind and it becomes your paradigm of life. Everything you see, you see it as a failure. You see it as someone with sin in your life. Sin saturates the mind. There are two major mental wounds that we get to our mind. One is guilt and the other is sorrow. I wish I had a long time. I want you to think about this right here. Sorrow heals because it's a clean wound, but guilt festers and infects the whole of life until the sin is dealt with. Until the sin is dealt with, guilt will fester and infect the mind. Guilt manifests itself in temper and lack of concentration. Uh, sin brings guilt and guilt causes anger and guilt destroys your prayer life and your conversation and your communication with God. Uh, 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 guilt causes a lack of appetite for spiritual things. Folks, listen to me. Guilt will eat you up. And while David enjoyed the wife that he stole, uh, there was a guilt. It was in his mind every day. He knew what he did and he knew it was wrong. And sin saturates the mind. Let me give you the third thing. Sin stings the conscience. Verse number four. It's interesting, against thee the only have I sinned. Wait a minute, David, I, I, I thought you sinned against this man and I thought you sinned against this woman and you sinned against this uh, man's family and this woman's family and you sinned against your, your own family. All of that is true. Many people were affected by David's sin, but the thing that he carried was to realize 
I've disappointed the one that loved me. I've disappointed the one that made me. I've disappointed the one that blessed me. I've disappointed the one that loves me even in my failure. I've disappointed the one uh, that has, has, has forgiven me even in my sin. You see, sin stings the conference, uh, the conscience, the conscience. While David hurt many people, his confession was to the God of heaven uh, and he asked uh, uh, God to forgive him. And this is the difference between a slave and a son. The slave feared the master's whip. The son feared the father displeasure. Oh, listen to me. He was broken hearted in his conscience because he realized he had disappointed the God of heaven. Now you and I know full well that it hurts the child of God to know we've done wrong against the Father. Are you with me this morning? We're going to get to the restoration and I love it. It's sweet. It's wonderful. It's precious. It feels good to be clean. It feels good to be whole. It feels good to have a wrong taken away and a failure taken away and a weakness. It, it feels good to have that gone and the relationship restored as it ought to be. But I want you to see what sin had caused in David's life. It, it stings the conscience in verse number four. Then we see sin saddens the heart. Have you noticed how sad our world is? Why is that? We have more than our grandparents ever thought about having as far as things are concerned. And everybody in America believes the more things you have, the more happiness you're going to have. But it doesn't seem to be working that way. Because you see, happiness is not a result of what I have or what I don't have. Happiness is a result of the happenings around me and the joy of my life is a result of my relationship with God. But you'll see in verse number 8 and verse number 12 that David lost his joy. He lost his happiness. He lost his gladness because of sin. And may I go ahead and say, sin isn't worth it. It's not worth living in sin. We'll live right. We'll live clean. We'll live holy. That's what the Bible says we'll live right before God look at verse number 8 what sin had done make me to hear joy and gladness he said I can't even enjoy good singing make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice he's not talking about physical bones he's talking about the pain of his heart he'd sinned against God look at verse number 12 restore unto me the joy of thy salvation he'd lose his salvation he lost the joy of it and uphold me with thy free spirit he uh, experienced a sad heart. And I want to say tonight, uh, this morning, you cannot live in a backslidden condition and expect to have gladness. You can't live in a backslidden condition and expect to have uh, a joy and happiness. Joy is a, is a byproduct of a right relationship with God. And we find the psalmist confessed the fact that sin had made his heart sad. It left him soiled. It saturated his mind. It's all he could think about. His sin. It, 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 it stung his conscience. He hurt God. It saddened his heart. Uh, notice number five. It sickened his body. David's sin took a physical toll on him. And that's exactly what sin does. Sin will damage your health. Are you listening to me? You and I ought to be a happy people. We ought to be a joyful people. The Bible says laughter doeth good like a medicine. I've taken a little bit of laughter medicine every day this week. I take some every day. I was telling them I heard all of the hot jokes. I mean, it's so hot. 
It was so hot at the camp, a chicken laid an omelet. I heard all of that. We, we, we had, I mean, we, 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 we've had a good time at camp. Listen to me. God's people are supposed to be happy people. God's people are supposed to be joyful people. And we can carry a burden and still have joy unless there's sin in our life. We can carry a burden. We can, we can help somebody that's hurting, hurting unless there's sin in our life. Oh, but sin not only saddens the heart, it sickens the body. You know, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 30. He said, many are, uh, many are weak, many are sickly, and he said, some are even dead. They sleep because of their sin. I don't understand why in the world we try to justify sin. We don't need to justify sin. We just need to live right in the sight of God. Number six. Sin sours the spirit. Look at verse number 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew, in other words, I used to have one, and renew, give me again, renew a right spirit within me. Sin will ruin your spirit. Sin will make you sad. Sin will make you down. Sin will cause you to see the bad instead of the good. Sin will cause you to complain rather than to rejoice. We could have one or two kind of services here this morning. I could tell you 15 burdens and 15 problems and 15 things that went wrong this week, and we could go away saying, wow, I really feel sorry for us, don't you? We're really having a hard time, aren't we? That's what kind of service we could have. I refuse to have that kind of a church service when God is on the throne and the Bible is the word of God and my name's written down in the Lamb's book of life and I'm a child of the King. You say, but what do you do about the burdens? You rejoice in the strength God gave you to carry the burden. What do you do about the problems? You rejoice in the answer God gave you to answer the problem. What do you do about the hurt? You rejoice in the salve that God has given you to help in the hurt. And I'm saying this morning, but if you have sin in your life, it will sour your spirit. David had a hurting and a hurtful spirit. Let me give you a statement. Hurting people hurt people. You know, the Bible says a wounded spirit who can bear? A wounded spirit who can bear? If you have a cut or a hurt or an injury in your hand, you not only, you don't want me to hit your hand because it's hurt, you don't want me to shake your hand. Brother Dunn came to church just a few days after he had shoulder surgery. He texted me and he said, Preacher, I'm going to slip in a minute late and I'm going to leave a minute early just to let you know. He said, I don't need anybody to pat me on the shoulder tonight. Well, I was wounded. He had had surgery. Typically, Typically, if someone's not wounded, you can pat them on the shoulder. All of us like attaboys. We all like that. But if it's a wounded shoulder, you don't want it touched. A wounded spirit, who can bear? I've got to get to the good part of this message. Sin sours the spirit. Notice sin steals your song. Verse number 13. Sin will steal your song. Notice, if you will, in verse number 
8, make me to hear joy and gladness. Verse number 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Verse number 15, O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Sin will steal your song. Now, how do, we, how do we restore our relationship with God? How do we restore our relationship that's been hurt because of wrong, that's been hurt because of sin? I, re- I remember when I was a boy and my dad would discipline me. He'd always do it in the same way. He'd always say, son, go to your room and wait till I get there. And you've heard me say that's when I prayed the most and I prayed the prayer for the Lord to send Jesus. It would be a good time for the rapture before my dad got there. And uh, But, but my, my dad would come and he would sit down on the side of the bed and he would say, now son, you know what you did wrong, don't you? Yes, sir. Now, you know, if I don't punish you for wrongdoing, you'll think there's no punishment in wrongdoing and you'll do it in a worse way and worse way until you end up breaking a law and going to jail. I don't want that ever happen to you. I want you to understand that there's consequences to disobedience and consequences doing wrong. I'd stand up, he'd take his belt, and he'd give me three, four, five licks. You've heard me say he gave me a whooping. Not a whipping, there's a difference. A whipping is four or five licks. A whooping is one lick shy of death, and sometimes I got those. And yes, I cried. Sure, I cried. I think he had a rule. He didn't stop till I cried, so I started before he started. Then we would sit down on the side of the bed. I don't know how many times I saw tears in his eyes. Now, son, I love you. If I didn't love you, I'd let you do anything you want, but you'd self-destruct. Most every time, there was no better hug in all the world than to know our relationship had been restored because my wrong had been paid for. Now, I want to give you three things in restoration your relationship with God. Number one, rest assured God loves you. God does love you. The biggest lie of the devil is God doesn't love you, but he tells every single person, whether you've been saved three days or 35 years, God will tell you, or Satan will tell you, Satan will tell you that God doesn't love you. There is not a single proof in all of the world, in your Bible, in the life, in your life, throughout history that can prove God doesn't love you. God loves you. And David knew even in his sin that he was guilty of that God still loved him. He loved Jacob. He loved Peter. He loved David. He loved John Mark. When they were away from him, God loves you. Write it down. Hear me say it. God does love you. No better thing in the world than to know my heavenly father. He doesn't just love me. He still loves me. He still loves me. I give you the second thing. In our restoration, we must confess our sin to God. And I want you to notice David didn't just pick out a sin. He didn't say, I sinned and pick out one single sin. He basically says, I was born a sinner. I am a sin 
I am a sinner. And he confessed the fact that he was a sinner before God. God was not looking for an excuse. He was looking for a confession. He wasn't looking for an alibi. He was looking for a confession. God is looking for honesty. And if we want to be right with God, we must come clean in our sin. 1 John 1, 9, the Bible says, If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us and understand I do the confession, he does the cleansing. He cleanseth us from our sin. We sometimes want to have things all cleaned up when we come to God. David didn't come as a clean individual. He came as a confessing individual, and God does the cleansing. I said, first of all, have the confidence that God loves you. He still loves you. Understand, we must confess our sin to God. By the way, there's no need for once a year to confess your sin to God. Why don't you just go ahead and make it a habit every morning and every night saying, Lord, I want to make sure our relationship is right. And the way the psalmist later did this, you'll find, he said, Holy Spirit, you search my heart. And if you find anything that's wrong, you tell me and I'll get rid of that. Your mama ever asked you, did you clean your room? And you said yes. And then she went in. And she found things that didn't matter to you. The psalmist said, Lord, you search my heart. So first of all, we believe that God loves us. Second of all, we confess our sin to God. And third of all, we allow God to cleanse us. Look again at verse number two. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse number seven. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. There's no greater feeling in all the world than to know that our sins are forgiven and the result of our sin is cleansed and washed away, washed away and we stand before God clean and made whole in our relationship with Him and our relationship and our fellowship is restored. There can be the joy of restoration in our lives. And I don't know about you. I don't want to experience this twice in my lifetime. I want to experience the joy of restoration on a regular basis in my life. When I say, Holy Spirit of God, you search me and see if there's anything in my mind, my heart, my soul, my intent, my motives. I want to be right before you. And I let God do the deciding and God do the cleansing. And there's nothing more wonderful than to know our fellowship is what it ought to be. The prodigal son in the far country lost all that he had, but he was separated from the blessings of the father. The Bible says when he saw his son a great way off, he ran, he fell on his neck, and he kissed him. He began to rejoice. This my son was lost, is found. And when he and the boy came home, there was joy, and he said, Kill the fatted calf. Get the robe and put it on him. Give him new shoes. Put the ring on his hand. I want everybody to know he's always been my son, but our fellowship has been restored. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I ask you this question this morning. How's your fellowship with God?
If you're saved, I know your relationship. You're a child of God, but what is your fellowship with Him? Do you have a spirit that is free? Do you have a song in your heart and on your lips? Is there a conscience that's clean and pure? There's not a person in here today that couldn't go away with rejoicing to say, I sure am glad that my fellowship with the Father is what it ought to be. Now you may be here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You've never been born again. I wonder if I could ask this morning, is there anyone in church today that would say, I've never received Christ as Savior. I've never accepted Him as Savior. I need to do that. I want to go to heaven when I die. I wonder if there's anyone that raise your hand. I wouldn't embarrass you for anything. I just want to know and pray for you. I wonder if there's anyone raise their hand and say, I've never received Christ as Savior. I know I need to. Would you raise your hand? Stand with me, if you will, all across the building. Brother Young is going to sing the invitation song. If you're here today and perhaps your fellowship with the Father needs to be restored, the altar is open. I encourage you to do business with God today. We don't want to have a hurting fellowship with the Father. We want to have a fellowship that's clean and right and pure and holy and happy and enjoyable.